You know, it's so cool how God works. Uh, in that video, you saw a verse there flash on the screen, verse uh, 25 of John chapter 9, and it says, One thing I do know, that though I was blind, now I see. Say, now I see. Now I see is what we're looking at today, and hopefully that gives you a glimpse at what God is doing in the next generation. Our interns have done an amazing job, and uh, we're so excited to hear from them. And uh, as we did that, it was interesting because I always look for how is God moving and working and putting together a service and, and the message and all of that. And, and the video was shot before, you know, some of my preparation was done for this morning. And, and as I was finishing, they showed me the video. And in there, Veda, uh, who actually is uh, the, one of the ones featured, uh, talks about the role that obedience has played in her walk with Jesus and rediscovering Jesus. And I told her, I said, you have no idea because that's a part of the message today. And so I just submit that to you to realize, like, sometimes God makes us look better than we really are. You know what I'm saying? Like, sometimes God's like, hey, uh, I'm in charge, I got this, and you're going to, you know, so I just want you to acknowledge, like, there is something the Lord is going to say and do that if he hasn't already met you and spoke to you, I believe he's going to. And we're going to have a little fun to begin with, with this idea of now I see, right? So I'm going to play this 90-second clip, and it's going to give you an opportunity to, to see with major brands and logos in our country, uh, do you recognize which is the actual one? And, and we did something like this a couple of weeks ago. I, I said, hey, we're a hand-raising church. You can raise your hands. Uh, so right now, let me just see you. Raise your hands. Okay, good. Uh, let me see left hand. Okay, right hand. So that's how you're going to vote. If it's the left side of the screen that you think is the right logo, you put up your left hand. If you think it's the right side, you're going to put up the right hand. There's four or five of these, and we'll see how you do. Go ahead and play the video. I have a logo quiz for you, and your task is to find the correct one. Let's start. Here's the first one. What's the correct Netflix logo? It's this one. I'm sure you got it right. We all like a good show. Let's go on with something a bit harder. Where is the real PayPal? That's the one. You probably stream music every day, but do you remember how many lines Spotify has? It's this one, with three lines. Which logo is the correct one here? Yes, the one over there. Are you a coffee fan? This one's for you. Which logo is correct? This one, of course. Now, how about Domino's Pizza? Which logo is correct? That's the one. If you watch TV, you must know the correct NBC logo. It's your chance to shine.
Here it is. I know it was hard. I didn't get it right myself. Hey, actually, that was the easiest one, wasn't it? Yeah, I wanted to end on a win for you because here's the truth. When I went through that on my own, I'm super competitive and I did not do well. And uh, I was like, oh my goodness, like I'm not seeing what I thought I had seen. And as we get into this, you could turn in your Bible to John chapter 9 because there, there's this, uh, par- this story that's actually about a man who's healed. He's given fresh vision, and, and literally his physical eyes are healed. But there's principles and, and precepts, if you will, in this passage that I believe are going to allow us to see Jesus clearly and maybe even what he has for us. So let's start with the first three verses. And as we do that, I, I just want to pray over us that God would open our eyes, that, that maybe if we thought we knew or thought we had seen, that we would see something new and fresh today. Amen? So, Father, thank you for today. Thank you for what you are doing. Uh, we want to see you clearly. We want to see what you have for our lives clearly. And I just pray, uh, Holy Spirit, do what only you can do. May your word speak. And may it open our eyes to who you are and to what you have for us. We thank you for each person online and in person. And we just pray for your hand this morning. In Jesus' name, amen. All right, so the first three verses, it says, As he passed by, he saw a man blind from birth. And his disciples asked him, Rabbi, who sinned, this man or his parents, that he was born blind? Jesus answered, It was not that this man sinned or his parents, but that the works of God might be displayed in him. If you're taking notes, the first point here is now I see sin can, but isn't always the cause of suffering. And this is an important principle to see here because as they come to Jesus, they're asking the question that maybe some of us have begun to buy into, which is a cause and effect relationship that one always equals the other. In fact, this goes further in our world today. There's actually a world religion many of you have heard of, Hinduism, that actually believes that that some of what we do in this world reincarnates in the next world and we pay the price for whatever we did or did not do in the previous world. That's gone further in pop culture, especially here in America and and in Hollywood over the last few years with a term karma. And, and karma is something that, it, especially in the, the up-and-coming generation, and maybe even for some of us, we have started to buy into this belief that, that what goes around comes around, and what we reap we sow. And as you'll recognize, I'm quoting things that have truth in them, but ultimately aren't the only voice on this scripturally. That actually what Jesus is saying here is that, yes, you know, in fact, we would see in Scripture that sin does have an effect. Often sin does cause suffering for us and for others, but it's not the only thing that causes suffering. And and what he says here is that in particular is they're trying to trap Jesus in that moment and try to trick him and get him off of what uh, the Old Testament in their case would have been uh, teaching them. He responds brilliantly as only Jesus can, right? And he says that it's actually not even that, that actually what happens is there's things that he allows in life that ultimately bring him glory. That ultimately there's things that God will allow that we go through in life that, that, that ultimately display the works of God and display his glory. 
And you'll see in a moment how that plays out for this blind man where literally something he didn't ask for, didn't want, and his parents did, were not responsible for because he was born blind, God used to bring about God's glory. Amen? So as we think about this, there's two other pieces in Scripture that I think are important to, to internalize for us if we're going to really trust God and his sovereignty and who he is, and that if we see suffering in our world, which we do, if you're going through suffering in your own life, you know, at the end of the day, here's what Isaiah 55, 8, 9 says. It says, for my thoughts are not your thoughts, neither are your ways my ways, declares the Lord. For as the heavens are higher than the earth, so are my ways higher than your ways, and my thoughts than your thoughts. Translation, God's infinite, we're finite. God knows better than we know. And there are moments and things that are occurring in life that we just have to get out of God's way and say, God, I don't understand it. I don't get it. But I'm going to trust you. Anybody else struggle with that? I mean, this is a deep issue. Because we want to point to, well, they did this, so they deserve this, and this happens, so this is the result. And sometimes that may be true. But there are other times where we have to step back and trust that ultimately God's in control. Now, with that, Romans 8, 28, 29 goes along with this idea. It says, and we know that for those who love God, all things work together for what? Good. For those who are called according to his purpose, my goodness, if you've been to a funeral, you've likely heard Psalm 23 and that verse, right? And and it's appropriate because often in the face of death and suffering, in the face of things that we didn't welcome or want necessarily, we're reminded that God is good and bends everything for the good of those who love him. Verse 29 For those whom he foreknew, he also predestined to be conformed to the image of his son, in order that he might be the firstborn among many brethren. And that second verse, verse 29, is so important. Because we could stop short of saying, well, God's going to bend it for my good, and miss the fact that part of what may happen through the challenge and through the suffering is God's goodness shows up in a way that conforms us more to who Jesus is is that we look more like Jesus on the other side of our suffering or difficulties. Come on, church. Where are you at today? You awake? You here? You're alive? Okay. This is great truth. And as we read last week in John 8, the truth of God's word sets us free. Now, as this goes on, verse 4 through 7, it says this, We must work the works of him who sent me while it is day. Night is coming when no one can work. As long as I am in the world, I am the light of the world, Jesus says. Having said these things, he spit on the ground and made mud with the saliva. Then he anointed the man's eyes with the mud and said to him, Go wash in the pool of Siloam, which means scent. So he went and washed and came back seeing. Did you catch what just happened there? Jesus is looking at this man and saying, okay, uh, there's going to be some mud, there's going to be some spit, and you're going to have to go do something that seems a little weird that you've probably done before, but do you trust me? Will you obey me? So the second part of now I see that we see here is this man does it. 
right? And if you're taking notes, it's this reality that obeying Jesus always leads to change. Now, most of us, if we're honest, we want change, but we don't want the process by which we change. We want things to look different, but we don't necessarily want to go through the steps for that to happen. We, we get comfortable, we get complacent, we want things to be different, but we don't want to necessarily pay the price that comes with it. Anybody? Okay. So, so here's what we see here is Jesus is talking to this man, and, and he's, again, he's saying, listen, I'm going to tell you what to do. And if you do it, you're going to be healed. You're going to be changed. You're going to look different on the other side of this. And that very thing is going to bring God glory and bring God honor. And it's going to be the work of God. But there's a role that the man has to play. Will he obey? Now, we can look at that and go, well, uh, that, that would have been easy. It's Jesus standing in front of you. Keep in mind, Jesus standing in front of you for many wasn't enough. That actually for many in that day and age, Jesus fully present right in front of them was actually something they still resisted, still persecuted, even to the point of taking him to a cross. So, so in many ways, this man is demonstrating for us that, that, that it is possible, but there's a step of obedience, a step of trust that we have to place in what Jesus is telling us. There's a, the late Dallas Willard authored many, many books on discipleship and what it means to actually be a believer. One of the things he said is this. He said, the missing note in evangelical life today is not the first instance spirituality, but rather obedience. Just humor me. Say obedience. Okay? He says, we've generated a variety of religion to which obedience is not regarded as essential. That life in Christ has, has to do with obedience to his teaching. Actually, this would be backed up by Scripture. Matthew 28, what does Jesus say? He says, go and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them and teaching them to obey all of my teaching. Okay? But, but somehow we've missed this, and we've made it easy to believe in Jesus, but not obey him. This is what Willard's getting at and what I think we need to understand, that, that we as a people, if we will actually move from I'm a Christian to I'm a christ follower, which means I'm obeying and following Jesus, we would actually begin to see more change and more life change in our world. And that's what I believe our heart is, but we got to continue to lean into and understand what it means. Here's the thing. When we obey Jesus, there is a freedom that comes that is unlike anything the world can give us. When we talk about you know, the freedom that is afforded our nation and the freedom that, that we have in our, our country, it's interesting because many times that's a freedom to be an individual, right? Like, what, what do many of us at, at our core believe? You do you, and I'll do me. Don't tell me what to do. No? Y'all, you're in church. Whether you're online or in person, I know how, I, come on, this is deep, right? We want a freedom to do us that in some ways has carried over into how we view our faith. 
Because you see, it's actually Jesus that's meant to call the shots. It's actually Jesus that, that if we obey him, is meant to bring freedom, true freedom, for life as it was meant to be. He leads us out of slavery to sin. He leads us out of captivity to culture and to the world. And he actually leads us in his kingdom into what real freedom looks like and means. And my hope is that we understand how close this is to our heart here at Pathway. You know, our vision as a church, we've been laying this out over the last few months, is to be the church, right? To be the church that Jesus intended. And, and to do that means restoring and raising up and then reaching out. Now, there's a role I and our staff play in that, but can you imagine if we were the only ones that saw this and obeyed Jesus? Like, actually, the church is the people of God, amen? And, and it actually has implications that each of us would say, we want to follow the Jesus that heals the blind, that restores sight, that delivers people from addictions and hurts and all of the things we face, that he's a restorer. And as we obey him, he does that for us, and then he does that through us and how we raise up others and how we reach out to the world around us. So obedience plays a critical role as we follow Jesus into this next season. Now, the story goes on because here's, here's the reality. Obedience leads to change if we're following Jesus, but change also leads to conflict, right? Change often creates conflict, and even Jesus-led, Jesus-birthed changes can create conflict. Let's take a look at what happens Picking up in verse 8. It says, The neighbors and those who had seen him before as a beggar were saying, Is this not the man who used to sit and beg? Some said it is. Others said, No, but he is like him. He kept saying, I am the man. So they said to him, Then how were your eyes opened? He answered, The man called Jesus made mud and anointed my eyes and said to me, Go to Siloam and wash. So I went and washed. Again, he obeyed. And I received my sight. They said to him, where is he? He said, I do not know. They brought to the Pharisees the man who had formerly been blind. Now it was a Sabbath day when Jesus made the mud and opened his eyes. So the Pharisees again asked him how he received his sight. And he said to them, he put mud on my eyes and washed and I see. Some of the Pharisees said, this man is not from God. Here's the conflict, right? For he does not keep the Sabbath. But others said, how can a man who is a sinner do such signs? And there was a division among them. So they said again to the blind man, what do you say about him since he has opened your eyes? He said he is a prophet. The Jews did not believe that he had been blind and had received his sight until he called the parents of the man who had received his sight. And he asked them, is this your son whom you say was born blind? How then does he now see? His parents answered, we know that this is our son and that he was born blind, but how he sees we do not know, nor do we know who opened his eyes. Ask him, he is of age, he will speak for himself. His parents said these things because they feared the Jews, for the Jews had already agreed that if anyone should confess to be the Christ, he was to be put out of the synagogue. Therefore, his parents said, he is of age, ask him. As I said, Jesus' changes can create conflict. And what we see here is a conflict occurring, a division between the religious leaders, the parents, the people, and what God was doing. 
And, and they're trying to figure out who, who is at fault, who is doing this, who is Jesus really? And, and there's a couple of things playing out in this that many of us can probably relate to. Because when we think about Jesus leading us forward and obeying him and, and thinking about the changes that he might bring into our life, maybe you're like them and there's a bit of fear or a bit of anxiety. You see, fear and anxiety play a critical role in how we process life and how we process change. And for many of us, we get bound in fear of the unknown, and, and fear creates an ongoing anxiety. Anxiety often has to do with a worry and a stress about what is, and, and this is where God speaks into it and reminds us, as we heard earlier, that, that his ways are not our ways, that everything he authors and does, he bends for his good. So that should begin to calm some of our fear and anxiety. But my guess is that many of us, when we're immediately faced with changes that Jesus wants to bring into our life, might react the same way that they're reacting with fear and anxiety. And here's the thing about it. God is a good God, right? I mean, Scripture teaches us that, that, that from Genesis to Revelation, all of the Bible, uh, late theologian Ray Anderson said that the central message of the Bible is God is good and he is for you. That God is good and he is for you. And so if that is true, which we believe it is, and if God loves you, then whatever he's authoring in the change is meant to be for good, and we have to then process our fear and anxiety and bring it to him so that we don't miss what he's doing. 1 John 4.18 says this. It says, There is no fear in love, but perfect love casts out fear. Isn't that good? Perfect love casts out fear, for fear has to do with punishment, and whoever fears has not been perfected in love. See, Jesus is doing a work in his world, and when we begin to follow him and see clearly what he's doing, we, we begin to realize that the changes he's bringing are things that are meant to, to be led and informed and fueled by his love. And that love then casts aside fear. And here's the thing, like, you might need to do uh, the, uh, uh, almost like every step of the way. Like, I've had days in my life in the last uh, almost 25 years of following Jesus, I've had days where I've literally needed Jesus to give me peace and his love to cast aside fear every hour of that day, every step I was taking in that day. Anybody else relate to that? Where, where you're, you're just, and, and here's what I want to do. I want to normalize that for us. That actually, that doesn't mean we're weak. Maybe it does. But the point is, in our weakness, he is strong. That, that actually, he wants to show up and be present with us and help us take each of those steps, setting aside fear so we can love and trust and experience the freedom he's designed us for. This is what's unfolding here in this passage as far as the principles go. Now, the very last piece I want to show you is in verse 24 to 38. It says, So for the second time they called the man who had been blind. And they said to him, Give glory to God. We know that this man is a sinner. 
He answered, whether he is a sinner, I do not know. One thing I do know, that though I was blind, what? Now I see. They said to him, what did he do to you? How did he open your eyes? He answered them, I've told you already and you would not listen. Why do you want to hear it again? Do you also want to become his disciples? Oh, he threw it down right there, right? And they reveled him. They got even more worked up, right? And it says, uh, uh, sorry, I lost my place. I got so excited about that. It says, you, they reveled him, say, in verse 28, you are his disciples, but we are disciples of Moses. We know that God has spoken to Moses, but as for this man, we do not know where he comes from. The man answered, why, this is an amazing thing. You do not know where he comes from, and yet he opened my eyes? We know that God does not listen to sinners, but if anyone is a worshiper of God and does his will, God listens to him. Never since the world began has it been heard that anyone opened the eyes of a man born blind. This man were not from God, he could do nothing. They answered him, you were born in utter sin and you would teach us, and they cast him out. Jesus heard that they had cast him out, and having found him, he said, do you believe in the Son of Man? Now, keep in mind, this is the same guy that just a few verses earlier said he was a prophet. Now he's being asked, do you believe he's the Son of God? Over here, he saw him as a prophet, as a healer, as a restorer, but now he's seeing who Jesus really is as the Son of God because here's his response. He answers, and who is he, sir, that I may believe in him? Jesus said to him, you have seen him, and it is he who is speaking to you. He said, Lord, I believe, and he worshiped him. Church, when we get clarity of vision, we are drawn closer to Jesus. If you're taking notes, Jesus-centered conflict draws us closer. And this is a critical principle, and I'm going to explain both sides of it, because there's a vertical component. There's the fact that that what we see with this man is the conflict and the tension actually drew him closer to Jesus, that he began to see who Jesus really was, and as a result, he he worshipped him. I mean, that's where it all begins. That's our, our heart and my hope for you, is that each of us, whether we see a conflict in our life or around us or in our world, that we draw closer and know that Jesus, in the center of that, can actually create new opportunities to find him, to follow him, and to worship him. Jesus-centered conflict draws us closer. The second component of that is the reality that there's a horizontal aspect. There's how we work with and love and live with the people around us. And if we're in a conflict and we get Jesus in the center of it, we can face that conflict in a different way. And here's the reality. There's an author, Ken uh, Sandy. He has a book called Resolving Everyday Conflict. In there, he takes the gospel of Jesus Christ, the good news, and he shows us how that Jesus-centered conflict can actually bring healing and restoration and heal relationships. I don't know about you, but I see the need for that in my own life, the life of our church, the life of our community, the life of our country. Anybody? And, and here's what he says in there. He says, we tend to be in the face of a conflict, one of these three kinds of people. Peace fakers. Bless your heart. 
I hear what you're saying. And then we turn around and we put about 100 holes in the person's back. Peace fakers, right? There's a conflict. We don't want to deal with it. We don't want to address it. He, he goes further and says we want to escape from it. That's escapism. Second one is, is peace breakers. These are folks that <clears throat> at some level, you, you may have something wrong with your head. I'll say I might be one of those at times when I'm in my flesh, where, where I'm just like, conflict, let's go. Let's figure it out. And there's times where I can get ahead of Jesus in that. There's times where I can actually accelerate the conflict without even realizing it if I look back over the course of my life. Not today. But, but a peace breaker is somebody that's like, we're going to do this now. And, and they're even willing to burn a bridge if needed because I'm right. Because I'm right, I don't care about being restored. I don't trust Jesus enough to make it right. I'm going to stay right. <laughs> Woo, it got quiet. And then there's peacemakers, right? Peacemakers are people like Jesus that, that, that live and lead in such a way that, that they say, okay, in the face of a conflict, we're going to draw closer. We may not agree on everything. We may disagree, in fact, on some things. But if we can agree on Jesus, we can draw close enough to maybe be reconciled, to agree to disagree in love. And you see that play out through the rest of the New Testament, the ways that Jesus would usher, usher that in as people obeyed him and followed him. In this moment, we have a man who is drawn into worship. He's drawn into the fact that, okay, this is the Son of God and this is the Messiah. And, and here's the thing, the conflict hasn't gone away. He's with Jesus, but nearby you get the sense that those religious Pharisees and, and some of the townspeople are watching the whole thing. They're still in the room. But he worships Jesus. Francis Chan says this. He says, too often we fixate on our disagreements and we feel like we can't worship with such big elephants in the room. We don't see that God is infinitely larger than our elephants. Come on, church. Come on. In the face of whatever conflict or every, any disagreement, Nothing should be robbing us of the opportunity to see who Jesus is and to worship him. And some of us need to get our eyes off of those elephants and disagreements and get them back on Jesus. That's where we're going to find worship. That's where we're going to find who he is and who we're meant to be. That's when we're going to begin to hear when he says, this is the next step, follow me and obey so two questions for you to finish today. The first is, I'm sorry, three questions. The first is, what do you now see about Jesus and how will you apply it? Because yes, this was a story about him healing a blind man, but it has physical and spiritual implications for all of us. As you've heard this today, what are you going to apply? 
Are you just going to go off and, you know, cook a steak or hot dogs or mahi-mahi, whatever it might be, right? What are you going to apply? Secondly, what is Jesus asking you to obey him with? What is it that maybe fear or anxiety has got in the way and the Lord's saying, trust me, I've got good for you, follow me, obey me. The change I'm bringing is going to be better. So what is he asking you to obey him with? And then third, our world, your world, mine, my home, yours, our church home, yours, needs less peace fakers, definitely less peace breakers, and a whole lot more peacemakers. Will you be that kind of person and find Jesus in the middle of the conflict and draw closer? I'm going to ask right now if you'll just stand, and I'm going to pray over us, and then we're going to go into a time of praise and worship. If you're at home and online, we have a chat host that's ready to receive your prayer requests, your responses. Here on site, we have prayer partners. My guess is God has opened your eyes to something today, and we want to be a people that comes in and doesn't leave the same way that we came in, right? We come in and we go out different. And oftentimes that isn't because of what you've heard. That matters. But it's more about this moment and what are you going to receive and how are you going to respond? So I'd encourage you during this time to do your business with the Lord. If you need prayer, come forward. We would love to pray with you. Father, we love you and thank you for this morning. We thank you for the freedom that you have. We thank you that you give clarity of vision, that we can see you closer and clearer. Father, I pray just as this man in this story was healed, but ultimately was spiritually healed because he said, I believe, and he worshiped you. May we be a people that lets go of anything and falls on our knees, falls on our faces if necessary, and say, we believe and we worship you. Father, be with us now as we worship and respond. I pray that we would not just see you, but would see the next step and would boldly follow you. We thank you in Jesus' name. Before I, Father, I just feel like there's some fear and anxiety in the room. And so I'm just asking, Holy Spirit, pour out your love and cast aside all fear. In Jesus' name, be with us now as we worship you. Amen. All right, let's let's take the time and just worship this morning.
Amen, amen. Well, if you are a visitor here today, welcome uh, again and come to our welcome booth out this way. We've got a gift. We would love to welcome you. Uh, I'm going to pray over us and then uh, some of you, you know, it's time to rush out to the cookout, the boat, whatever you're doing. But some of you still have some business that you need to do with the Lord and uh, we'll stay up here and available and uh, we might even, I don't know, maybe the team will play another song. We'll see. Uh, but I'm going to pray over us, give us our benediction, and uh, thank you again for being here today. You know, we don't take Sundays off in the kingdom of God, amen? I mean, yeah, we may be absent here or there, but as the body of Christ, you know, this is a 365-day, seven-day-a-week, 24-hour kind of thing where our life is His. And he loves you, and he wants to do life with you this week. So I hope you see that. Now we see, right? He's got so much more. Father, we love you and thank you for today. We thank you for the opportunity to, to go out praising you and worshiping you. I pray that we would be a people that sees you clearly, that follows you in obedience that the changes you bring would bring us closer to you and to one another. Father, help us to worship you in all of life with everything we put our hand to. And we thank you that as we love you and love all people in our pathway, we are going to be the church that you've called us to be. Bless and be with my brothers and sisters. Thank you for those that are visiting. May they sense that you love them and so do we and that this is a home where they could sink roots. We thank you in Jesus' name, amen. Go now and be the church. Have a great week.